This is an ABC podcast. Pop culture didn't really exist for me in India. It, it, there was no way of getting it. We would listen to maybe like BBC radio. I remember vividly hearing the Falklands War or something on the radio. It's the only thing I remember is, oh, there's a war, we're listening to it on the radio. So there wasn't a lot going on for a kid. I mean, it was not exciting. <laughs> the Falklands War. Hey, come over. The Falklands War is on. Oh, sick. Elizabeth Coolass, welcome to Days Like These. Chris Ryan was born in Australia, but she spent most of her childhood in India. So when her family returns home, the Aussie way of life is unfamiliar to Chris, and she has to get to work fitting in. That feeling of being an outsider, it follows her through her childhood, through her adult life. And while it makes for some tough times, it also gives her courage to make brave choices and sometimes hilarious ones too. Today, reporter James Viver brings us Chris's story of comedic destiny. When I think about my childhood in India, I guess I think about hot, sunny days, riding my bicycle in the driveway, playing with my mate across the road, eating the best food in the universe, just spicy curries and dal for lunch and doses for breakfast. Chris grew up in Hyderabad. She moved there with her parents when she was three months old. The expat life was all she'd known. It was multicultural and colourful and required kids to make their own fun. We finally got a television, I think, in the last year that we were there, about, like, 19... I don't know, 83 or something. And it was a black-and-white television. And I turned it on, and the first thing I saw was an appendix operation. And... Honestly, I, it wasn't as great as you might think. When Chris isn't watching appendix operations on the telly, she goes to an international school and plays with her best friend who lives across the road. The Ryan's house is always filled with people. So there was a lot of people that worked at my parents' house. I had a, a wonderful woman named Fatima who looked after me in the day and sometimes at night if mum and dad were out. A gardener we had... Uh, a tailor, you know, not our personal tailor, but we would go to this guy who would make stuff for us. We ha had a, a cook, you know, a, a, a driver. Oh, yeah, we had a night watchman, Saeed. He was great. I do have a vivid memory of mum and dad going out one night and me waking up in the middle of the night in an empty house, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to go and sit with Saeed. So I went outside, sat on the step, <laughs> waited for mum and dad to get home. A lot of my childhood was on my own. I guess Dad was always at work or overseas travelling. So it was really just Mum and I. But Mum would do lots of stuff as well. She was busy. So it was really me. There was a lot of alone time. And I always felt better when people were around. I definitely loved it when people were clapping or laughing or happy, you know, that I was doing something or that they gave me feedback. I liked feedback a lot. I needed it a lot. Then, when Chris is nine years old, 
her parents announced they're moving back to Australia. I remember taking the cat up to the treehouse, I had the best treehouse, and just I sang it a song. I literally sang to the cat and I was crying. I held it down, just holding it, crying, singing this song to it. Cat didn't care. Like, <clears throat> but for me, I wanted the cat to know, you know, that I loved it. We were packing things up and putting them in boxes. This is inexplicable. A shower curtain ring. I, I wanted to take it with me to Australia. But I, I was obviously trying to deal with it all and prepare and, and just tie up all the loose ends. <laughs> the shower curtain ring and the cat. I don't know what was going on. I, uh, yeah, there was a lot of goodbyes. There was a lot of farewell dinners. There was a lot of parties. And then at the airport, far out. Waterworks. It was just like this massive lineup of, yeah, everyone from your life. <laughs> just saying goodbye. Chris leaves her friends and the only lifestyle she's ever known. She leaves behind the heat, the temples and the markets in Hyderabad, sitting on the front porch with Saeed. She swaps it all for early 1980s Canberra. And this culture was totally new to her. She was an outsider again, this time in the place she was born. I think it was great meeting new kids and stuff, but I definitely didn't have any mates. No one really understood why I had such a weird accent. I, I sounded like a blend of about 17 different nationalities. South African, you know, American, German, Amer you know, Indian. I did feel quite alone when we moved back to Australia. I felt different and I didn't understand why. I don't reckon I really could have articulated that I felt like an outsider when I was young. I just probably got sad a bit. And while Chris is lonely, she is able to get stuck into 1980s pop culture. And there's a lot more than appendix operations on offer. My brother and I would just, we'd lose our minds. <laughs> just playing these, you know, space invaders and, and eating McDonald's and honestly just... Yeah, just, just being white trash. <laughs> I couldn't believe this is how people lived, you know. I just thought this is so modern. But I didn't feel like that was normal. I thought that was just some kind of heightened state. And I, I just, you know, it was so normal for everyone else and I looked at it like we were in a Hollywood movie. Yeah, so I was very happy with the popular culture available and music, oh my God. Things like Phil Collins, Billy Joel. Watching television was such a joy. Couldn't believe there were so many good programs on. We'd watch stuff like Happy Days and um, The Wonder Years and The Paul Hogan Show. Going to the movies was like, oh, that was just the best thing you could do. Like a lot of lonely kids, Chris finds solace in fictional characters 
and there was one movie that really made an impact. Flashdance, the 80s romantic drama dance film with its anthemic soundtrack, underdog storyline, and of course, leg warmers. Iconic, iconic movie, Flashdance. Like Chris, the movie's main character, Alex, is an outsider too, and so Chris really identifies with her. And I just thought she was the coolest, you know, out of nowhere. This woman wearing a boiler suit who's a welder by day is suddenly auditioning for this really hard dance school and she does the audition of her life and she gets in. It's like, that is exactly what I want to happen in my life. Among a soundtrack of 80s anthems, there is one tune that stands out from the rest. It's the music from the end of the film when the character gets into dance school. That's the bit that Chris identifies with. If you know Flashdance, you know this song. It's the biggest track from the movie. What a Feeling by Irene Cara is so great. It starts with just like, I think it's just keyboard. And it's just this voice over the top, you know, first when there's nothing. Your fear seems to hide deep inside. And it just builds up to this massive, like, joyous crescendo of what a feeling. Like, I know you're scared, hun, but seriously, go for it. It was just so encouraging. It's just like, go for it, do it, do this crazy thing. Chris needs to create that flash dance moment in her life. Then, just like in the movie, she'd overcome it all. Friends would follow, no more being an outsider. I learnt that dance and um, I would practice it. I would just dance in the corridor at, at my parents' house because there was nowhere else to dance. I didn't want to dance in front of them in the lounge room, of course. I, th I thought, well, we've made this move to Hollywood, Canberra. Surely something has to happen now, you know, like I have to be discovered. This has to happen. I'm going to do flash dance and then I think I'm going to get to go to fame school, you know. So she has the inspiration... She has the moves. Now all she needs is an audition. I knew that it was a performance. I, I mean, I was looking to make an impact, you know. <laughs> and so I went and saw Mrs Leader. Well, she was my year five teacher and she was the one adult I knew in Canberra, apart from my parents, really, at that stage. I thought she'd be the right person to, um, to call fame school. <laughs> I said, can I see you at lunchtime? And she said, yes, Christine. And I went into the girls' toilets at lunch when the lunch bells rang and I put on my leotard. It was a cool leotard. I always felt cool in it. I don't know where I would have got wristbands from. Maybe tennis. My parents played tennis and they had wristbands. I would have probably borrowed them. And my dad definitely wore headbands when he played tennis, so I would have got one of them. Chris's kid logic is that all the loneliness and sadness of moving to Canberra, of leaving her old life in India behind, it could be fixed by performing this dance routine, by getting into this imaginary fame school. This was a huge moment. I was nervous because I'd been practising so much, it meant a lot to me. I guess I knew that it would look weird and just, yeah, padded my way in with a cassette tape and I just put on the tape and I started dancing. So 
I reckon I started on the floor, then like reach up with one arm into the air to just do this nice long line type vibe, you know. A lot of kind of embarrassing running. Like I look at it now and it's like just really dumb running with like sort of some knees up, legs out straight behind. Kind of like inexplicably like a deer. Um. <laughs> then definitely big big dive roll at the end for the big finale finish because you want to end with a bang and I definitely would have presented like a gymnast. Looking for that feedback. Like I expected something exciting to happen. I thought any minute now, like, I don't know, media will get here. This is the start. Just dance my guts out for her, you know, did the whole thing and nothing happened. You know, like she just looked at me and went, oh, thanks, Christine. And I was like, that's all right. And I went and got changed and went back to school. Chris keeps her flash dance performance secret. She's pumped that she did it, but nobody has to know about it. Felt quite special, I reckon. I reckon I probably felt like, well, I've just done something no one else has done. And you guys don't even know. You should know, because it's great, you know? Like, <laughs> I wanted her to say, you should do that at assembly. In my head, I was auditioning, you know, to, to play a bigger role in the school community. <laughs> she does find her way and eventually builds up her confidence and makes some friends. Flashdance was not required to make them. Life goes on. Chris leaves school and goes to uni. She works as a journo and runs her own comms business. She stays in Canberra and meets her husband. They have a couple of kids. But Chris really struggles in those early days of motherhood. With my first child, I had a great pregnancy, the best time. I was so happy to be pregnant. And then I had my son and um, I was inexplicably angry and sad and alienated and I didn't know what was going on. I just thought this was parenthood and it was terrible. So I had a big period of postnatal depression and I didn't, couldn't talk to anyone about it. I was terrified that I was doing it wrong and I just didn't want anyone to tell me. But I don't think anyone knew how to talk to me because I was scary, I was intimidating. It was like I sent out this vibe of do not talk to me. I'm having a hard time, you don't understand. And I, I did have one friend who tried to say that she thought I had postnatal depression but she, she hadn't had kids and I used that as a weapon against her and I just said, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, you don't even have kids. And um, we never really became, we, we lost that friendship over that. So it wasn't until three years after I had my son and I'd already had my daughter, my daughter was about nine months old, when finally my mother-in-law, she just asked me, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm really not. No one had had the thought to th ask me that. And uh, I didn't have the words to articulate how I was feeling. 
that was a critical turning point for me. And it took some time to come out of it. it I had, I had uh, medication, I had counselling, and there was still some rough years to come. It took a while. But when I did start to come out of it, um, I was ready to start a new chapter of my life. My career, you know, like I put that on the back burner um, when I had young kids and I just was sick of being invisible. I was, I was bored. I, um, I felt unseen and like I was wasting potential and life was passing me by, you know, so I, I felt the clock was ticking so I had to start. That idea of being seen was still so powerful for Chris. To be seen meant she isn't an outsider. She needs something new, something that's hers and hers alone. I really enjoy making people laugh. I think I've always, that's always been a bit of a thing for me. Like, and, and for me, getting laughs was far more important than anything else, really. The idea of stand-up comedy for me was like you could turn your pain or your weird stories into something to make people laugh to just be able to take those moments where bad stuff happens and and flip it and take power back from that badness and the sadness or 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 the inconvenience or whatever happened in your life and turn it into something that you can laugh at and i thought comedy it would be great if i was good at it The feedback would be amazing. I like the rush of that challenge and I thought I could probably rise to that. Not everyone's idea of therapy, but that outsider feeling needs a powerful antidote. Gee, it's a weird one, isn't it? Choosing stand-up, I don't know. Maybe because it's the hardest core thing in terms of feedback. If you do it well, it's a high. I guess I could see that it must be like that. So to make people laugh, Chris has to get together some material. And as she casts an eye over her life, sifting through the memories and experiences, the comedy gold she needs is there in the bank. Flashdance just came up as an idea of something I could definitely use if I was ever going to try and make people laugh. That was actually one of the first jokes I've ever told. The idea that we're all dickheads, essentially, is what that whole first set was about. It's like, look to your left, look to your right, good chance one of them's a dickhead. If they look all right, it's probably you, you know? And, and then I just sort of talked about all the times I've been a dickhead in my life. And, and Flashdance was one of them. So Flashdance just was a, a definite part of my first steps on stage as a comedian, yeah. And as she develops her comedy, Chris finds there's a whole new language there to learn and communicate with. Jokes can be the only way that I'll express a certain thought. Like I might never talk about it to my parents or to people I know and love, but I'll say it on stage because I have that cover of, oh, well, it's, it's my comedy. You know, I don't have to talk to you about this, but I say it on stage. You know, because sometimes things are easier to say to a crowd of people than to the one person you're trying to say it to, you know. 
Chrissy's comedy career has gone from strength to strength. She's quit her day job. She's been picked up by an agency and played the biggest festivals in the country. She won Best Newcomer at the Sydney Comedy Festival and has performed alongside comics from all over the world. But most of all, people see her. Yes, they go and see her on stage, but they see her. She's not an outsider anymore. I think now that comedy is a thing for me, it's my job and everything, it's like it's everything I hoped for. I feel like it's the best job in the world, you know? Flashdance was there in Chris's first gig, and it came and went as a bit in her sets. Then, in 2021, she decides to really cash in on Flashdance, writing a whole show based on that lunchtime with Mrs Leader. So, lunch bell rings, I go into the girls' toilets. I put on a leotard, a headband, some wristbands and some leg warmers. And I walk in and Mrs Leader's eating a salad sandwich. I used that story in my 2021 festival show, Big Hair, Big Dreams. I get my cassette tape. <laughs> I kind of like myself having done that. I, it makes me feel soft towards myself, which doesn't happen very often. And I do flash dance. I do the whole thing. I learnt the corry. I was doing the air punches. You know, I was doing the, like the pointing and the turning and the pointing and the turning and the, I did the big dive roll. I end up panting. <sighs> and it's it is it's vulnerable and weird and different. And I think I think people hear that and then it makes it's endearing. Nothing happened. <laughs> Nothing happened. My parents didn't even know I did that. I told my children and they were visibly pained. Uh, like, why did you do that? And I'm like, I just had to. <laughs> it's part of my dream. I played it in my festival show and people by the end were just clapping along to it. You know? <laughs> people loved it. And Chris took the show around the country with Flashdance at the Centre. The bravery and gumption of little nine-year-old Chris in her leotard and her headbands, it paid off. It worked. It just took 30 years to do it, and in ways she never could have imagined. There's probably a part of nine-year-old me up there when I get out and do comedy. I definitely try and win people over, even in the moment. Even if the joke's not getting what I want it to get, I'll try and do something else. And there's a part of me that that's childish, you know, it's that kid looking for attention type thing, I suppose. I think if I saw Mrs. Leader, I would, I would just tell her how significant doing that dance for her was for me. I would like her to know that it turned into a comedy career. That was my first gig, you know? I hope at least that I gave her something to talk about that night when she got home. Like, did her partner say to her, say, how was work love, you know? Oh, Christine Ryan danced for me. Oh, really? Did, uh, what, what, uh, she did flash dance. Why did she, I don't know. It was just something I had to do, you know. There's not many kids that had, did flash dance for their teachers. If, if there's a community of us, I'm happy to join it. You can check out more of Chris's work and where she's performing next at chrisryancomedy.com. Today's story was reported by James Viver. 
Thanks so much for listening to Days Like These. If you have a story about the performance of your life, please send it on over to us. We are dayslikethese at abc.net.au. And if you haven't already, you can follow Days Like These on the ABC Listen app or your favourite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, please rate us, please review us. It helps new people find the show. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Kulas. Today's episode was made on the lands of the Ngunnawal, Gadigal and Wiradjuri Woiwurrung people. Sound design and engineering on this episode by James Viver and John Jacobs. The supervising producer was Sophie Townsend. Our producer is Tamar Cranswick. Our script editor is Sophie Townsend. And our executive producers are Ian Walker and Tom Wright. See you next time. I'm journalist Matthew Condon. I lived through an era where crime and corruption permeated the lives of so many Queenslanders. Senior police allowing extensive criminal activity to flourish undetected. Police received sexual favours. But there's another story, the sex workers who were caught in the middle. Found dead after blowing the whistle on senior officers. She did do the right thing and she suffered for it. Dig, sirens are coming. A six-part podcast series from the ABC. Right now on the ABC Listen app.